As I came into the sanctuary this morning, uh, these uh, chairs sitting over here in front of the uh, major scene, the creche, were not there. And I said, well, I've been set aside by Jesus. And I could have said set aside by Jesus again because he has a way of setting us aside when we're kind of wrapped up in ourselves. And if he didn't do that, we wouldn't have a hope of being saved or being successful in the Christian life. Um, if you're wrapped up in yourself, the cutest little thing that matches my personality and, and my humor style better than any other little cutesy, nifty thing is, you know what the world's smallest package is, is a man wrapped up in himself. I think that would probably be true of a female also. And so if you want to be known for littleness, just keep your stuff right square in front of your face and insist that everyone acknowledge that this is what moves the world, is your stuff, because that is as little as it gets. Now, that said, who is this Jesus? Or said better, Jesus who? First of all, I want to tell you that Jesus is the one that created everything. Created everything. John 1, 3 says, through him, speaking about Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Hebrews 1, 12 says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. This is talking about God now. Spoken to us by his son, whom he, God, appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Colossians 1, 16 for by him all things were created, all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Do you know why in the creation story light was created before the sources of light that we see from the earth, the, the two major sources, were created after light? Do you ever think about that? Like, is God confused? No. Light travels for a long time before it gets to this earth. So God, before he needed to create anything for us to see that gives light, had to create the light on its way. So the, the universe doesn't have to be billions of years old because God can make it any way he wants to. He created man with time already in him. That is, he was grown. So he, could, he can create a grown universe if he wants to. And uh, one of the things where people who believe the Bible get hung up is how old is the earth? And there are some that just say a few thousand years and some say a few hundred billion years or whatever. And they, and they believe the same Bible and they love the same Lord and they're dedicated to the same thing. I think that's a waste of energy because Jesus created it and we probably have it wrong on both counts. The earth's probably not as young as you think or as old as you think. We're that way on everything else. Why would we be right about that? And the only way we get saved is because God just comes up to us and just gets right in our face and loves us and helps us. And so he probably has to do that with the age of the earth. So if you're, if you're hung on that, get over it. 
There are more things to worry about that are important than that. You say, well, my faith just can't, blah, 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 blah. If it's young, I can't believe it. Or if it's old, I can't believe it. Yes, you can. You're just a stubborn blockhead. I recognize that. I look at the mirror all the time and have a great visual image of stubborn blockheadedness. Don't follow me in that. Get over it. Because we have other things to worry about. For instance, we need to worry about Santa Claus. We've got to down with Santa Claus. Unless you're in retail and then you say, that sounds like heresy to me. Those of you who never thought about it, Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, is not black in anything but ink. Black Friday and the days following for the next 25, 30 days are the profit margin in Boku business. Whole bunch of folks make their living by keeping a store open through December. And that's where the profit comes in. And so uh, if, you, if you're too holy to have a Santa Claus, don't have a Santa Claus. My parents had one little kid for eight years. And they pushed him hard and fast when I was two, two years old. How tall is a two-year-old? I got a pair of full-size boxing gloves. Not a pair, a set, four. The, the bulk of these boxing gloves was greater than the, the volume of my body. You know, I could, I could put those things on. They'd come up to about here. They're really valuable. for. But, but Dad was not going to have a sissy, okay? And if you think I'm a sissy, don't tell Edgar because he'd probably get in your face. And you don't want to mess with him because he'll hurt you. 95 or nothing, he'll grab something on the front of your face that has nerve endings in it and move it. Trust me about that. I know. So Edgar and Margaret, and it was age two that they decided I was old enough to know who Santa Claus really is. It's like, I didn't get to have Santa Claus, but for about a little over two years as a baby. But you don't really need Santa Claus. Now, Santa Claus is okay because he comes from St. Nick, and St. Nick uh, is short for St. Nicholas, and he was a powerfully anointed, godly uh, clergyman. Great miracles attended his ministry. People got healed. A uh, lot of stuff, and it's hard to, it's hard to uh, nail down the details of some of these stories, but it, there is reason to believe that people were raised from the dead when he prayed. I mean, this guy is wonderful. So if you are so... I'm trying to be good, and it's a strain. I just want you to know. Let me start over. We, when we are little like Santa Claus, and then we finally find out, and if they haven't told you, <laughs> I'm so sorry to be the one. Santa Claus is real. Hello. <laughs> He's just not exactly like they told you. No, um, pardon me. That's, that's just because I love these people. And the people I love, I abuse, and so that's why. Um, 
Santa Claus is loved by kids. And then we come to the Lord. And we, we're new baby Christians, are, are immature in our faith, and we see all of the commercialization of Christmas. And we say, what happened to the baby? And we just get all holy, which is called spiritual pride, and it stinks. It's one of the worst sins because you can't see it. It looks like spirituality to the person suffering from it, and it is a disease, and it will mess with you. And I remember when I first started pastoring. You know, I wanted to get Christ back in Christmas. How? He's the one that started it. How do you get him back in? That's the only place he's ever been. And if you don't put him there, you probably don't put him first in your life anywhere else. And Santa Claus is not your problem. Your lack of understanding of God and consecrated consecration to God, those things are your problems. So, Get over this getting rid of Santa Claus. Get Jesus out front. But not like that silly attitude that, uh, that, you, that you now have. <laughs> I'm looking for you. If I haven't offended you yet, I'm, I'm, I'm not through. I'll keep looking. Um, we have the powerful powerful story of this baby and this is not the powerful part of it it's it is powerful it's incredible to the human mind but he grew up without sin lived uh, a sinless life died taking your sins and mine into himself and paying for them the soul that sins will die and so God totally legally took your sin and mine and put it into Jesus, and he suffered. If you think sin is not a big deal, you look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Go see the Passion of the Christ again. Buy the DVD and, and play it every six months. I do get a cut of those DVDs, by the way. We must have something larger than a fighting spirit about the commercialization of Christmas. Get over that. We are larger than that. The blood of Jesus Christ is more important than that. You say, well, it's an awful thing. Well, it's according to whether you're in retail or not. And I don't like God's stuff taken and made a profit of, but you think your bad attitude is going to stop it? No, it's just going to stop your witness and shut down your influence to lead people to Jesus Christ. And that is a really serious sin. You may be there. Your voice is just weak, I think. You see, this Jesus is the one who created all things. He is the one who also fulfilled all things. And exactly what did he fulfill? Well, he fulfilled the law. If you've read the Old Testament, it gets pretty complicated. Um, I go through the Old Testament a couple times a year and... I, I have an attitude in going through almost all of it that's really a good attitude. I, I struggle through Job, but otherwise I, I have a pretty good attitude. And I want to see if I can see Jesus in Leviticus. Well, he's all over the place. 
but it is a sort of complex arrangement that they had. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, let me tell you here that the word abolish means to loosen down like loosen the cords on a tent and fold it up. Jesus came to fold up and put away in good shape. Won't ever be needed again, but if it were needed, it's in good shape. When he folds it and, and puts it away, he abolished the, uh, the, the law. He didn't come to abolish in the sense of destroy, but loosen it down. Fulfill means to fill full. He, fu- he filled it full so that the ceremonial law pointed to the moral law that he kept. Now, you'll recognize that moral law. That's the one that you're always trying to just embrace and do so you can be right with God. Just embrace it and do so you can be saved. That's what we're talking about, that moral law. Uh, we We just are in anguish because the Ten Commandments are being removed from public buildings, buildings where they desperately need to be displayed. You know, forever, for goodness sake, don't take them out of a court of law because we need this stuff. Only them being on the wall there may have some effect, but most of us know, know innately something about this moral law. And we embrace that and pull it to ourselves, trying to please God and really trying to please ourselves so that our conscience won't hurt or so that if we should die, we know that we're okay because we really tried hard to keep the Ten Commandments or something like that. Yes, you are that crazy. Don't sit there and say you're just talking about yourself. Of course, I'm talking about me, but I know you too. And we do that. But Jesus didn't come to set up a moral law so we can be saved. He came to save us so that we could walk in a moral law. And don't ever, ever get confused about the order. You say, well, I I came to the Lord, but I'm struggling with the moral law. Keep coming to the Lord. That's the deal. Keep up in his face. Of course, he's trying to get you to his face, but we'll use your model for the moment. Romans The third chapter says, do we then nullify the law by this faith? He's talking about Christian faith. Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. The law is only be able, the the moral thing that Jesus came to bring to us can only be upheld by those people who have new life in Christ Jesus. It is be saved. Saved there is, is a huge term. And I'll, I'll try to get a little more definition of it in a moment. But uh, let, me, let me read you something from the Rom- Romans, the 8th chapter. Picking up at verse 2, it says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so... He condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us 
who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Now, if you're struggling with the moral law and you belong to Jesus Christ by faith in Him, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you because you have been born again. If you're struggling with this moral law, you're walking according to your own strength or some spirit that you have picked up in the neighborhood or in the family on the job because the glorious thing about it is is when God's spirit comes in us it becomes a natural thing did you get that a natural thing to do the right thing you say sign me up for some of that I hope you said that because that's what I say when I study this and I look at myself and I say oh but you see the law of the spirit of life now, this uh, authority that's exercised, this principle, is exercised by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and it bestows life, and it rests in Christ Jesus. I think the youth probably visited this model last Wednesday night if I understood where the sermon is going, and I want to borrow this model um, I guess if you're taking it out of Scripture, you don't have to call it borrowing. But uh, the, the deal is God created the universe so that he could have a place for man. That's a heavy statement. So that he could have fellowship with this human, not just male, but mankind. God then wants a relationship with you. And if you want to know how to know God, just spend time reading a little bit of the New Testament, meditating on Him, asking Him to reveal Himself to you. Just hang out with Him 30 minutes or an hour a day. You're not going to be the kind of Christian that God wants you to be if you do not have a devotional life. That is so important, I need, to, I need to repeat it. You will not be the kind of Christian that God intends you to be if you do not have a devotional life. That's the way it is. Don't think you're special or your schedule will get you off the hook. If you watch no TV, spend no time with a cell phone, no time on the Internet, then we can negotiate a little bit. Until you get over some of that stuff, don't tell me you do not have time for a devotional life. That was good, folks. Barry would say, I'm preaching a lot better than your amening. Because that was good. It will make a difference because we are not here to be up on the latest technology. And if that is your identity, God has something that's more secure and more comfortable and longer lasting of a personal identity, and it will be based in the fact that you didn't choose God. He chose you. So you can say, who am I? I'm the one God picked. That doesn't mean you're good. That doesn't mean you're bad. That doesn't mean you're pretty. That doesn't mean you're ugly. Young, old. It just means God pulled the trigger when he was looking straight at me and he picked me, bap, right between the horns. And he wants me. That's who we are. 
And if you lose your job, it's a stressor. And if you're a male, it will be even worse because we tend to suck all of the approval and all of the uh, personal satisfaction and personal affirmation out of our out of our profession, our job, whatever, even more than the female does, and, and they're pretty bad, but uh, we lead that charge. It'll be hard if you lose your job, but it won't change what God did because he didn't pick you because you had a good job. Some of you weren't even willing to get saved until you lost it, the good job, that is. And then you turn to the Lord for help. Thank God for the loss of a job. See, you see, what I'm talking about this morning is, is of eternal value. What the Holy Spirit said to us earlier in the service when, in the interpretation of the tongue was we belong to him and he is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the only way. He is the only way. He fulfills everything, which means fills full. He fills full everything. There is so much in those, those uh, three verses there in Romans 8, but I'm not going to spend any more time with that because I've got some more stuff that maybe will offend you, and I don't want to neglect you. No, you're wonderful, and I, I realize that uh, if we're going to be helped sometime, we have to just have it in our face, and you're worth the risk. I take the risk that you won't like me. And you're worth that risk. Jesus created all things. He fulfilled all things. And he bore all things. 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that he might die to sins, live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That reaches back into the prophet Isaiah where we read he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we're healed. And when that begins to soak through us by the power of the Holy Spirit, we begin to realize that he indeed bore it all. And you can this day get this clearly. Whatever you're self-images, whatever level of self-esteem you are now living with, if you were to stand this day in the presence of God Almighty, having left this life through some sudden deal, that you could actually sit down in His presence and be comfortable and just kind of hang out with him because he bore everything. There is not a sin that he didn't bear. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. And those of you who know me know what's coming next. Next, what is it about all that you don't understand? You're saying, but you don't know what I did. I may know it. <laughs> but if I don't, uh, and I'm supposed to know, please forgive me. I care. 
But you see, my knowing your sin doesn't have anything to do with how God sees you. And I might say to you, whoa, that was a dandy sin. Where'd you come up with that one? Why did you think you could get, how did you stay out of the penitentiary? Or whatever the sin might have been, you know, it's like, I don't know. But I know that before he made the world, God Almighty saw that sin and the rotten, hard heart that committed it. Is that you? Did I get you? I'm still, if I didn't, I'm still looking for you. Don't give up. If that's the case, then Jesus, who bore it all, paid the penalty, died the death. He's still got his arms open. Actually, it's, it's more intimate than that. Picture in Revelation 3 is that he's knocking at your heart's door. There he is. It's not a loud knock, but it may be a long knock if you're not responsive because he is out to get you. He paid an awful price so that he could put his arms around you, you having been cleansed. You see, the pure God could never, ever embrace you unless the blood of Jesus Christ had first embraced you. But he can embrace you and pull you right up on his lap and love you because Jesus bore all things. Hebrews 2.18 says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's one of my favorite verses, and, and a companion verse is in the fourth chapter of Hebrews. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. And in the, um, on the overhead, the emphasis there of the italics in every is, is mine. But tempted in every way, just as we are, yet with, was without sin. And the picture, the word picture especially in the second chapter of Hebrews there, is that this net of temptation to drag Jesus into an act of unbelief, whatever form it would have taken, sin is unbelief, and uh, we have to do something because we can't trust God to take care of us, and so we're going to do this or that or the other thing, and uh, God, God's not going to take care of me. Boy, I... Let me finish this point because I've got to come back here. There's something you really need to hear. Jesus has had every net thrown over him of temptation. Everyone. He's tempted in every way. Every. What is it about every that you don't understand? Every way. And when that net was thrown over him, he stood in faith and looked around and found the hole in the thing and extricated himself. And stepped out of it without being taken over. He was never captured by sin. Never. Never. Hallelujah. Now, there are, there are things that come and get us. Some of us are selfish enough that all we have to do is just offend you personally. And we're in real trouble and you, you'll just sin at length. Others of you, we have to do something to your spouse or your kid or somebody that may not be related to you, but you, you have given all kinds of 
devotion and affection from your heart. And if we mess with them, boy, we walked all over your heart. You know what that is? Whether you're being attacked or whether somebody you love is being attacked, you know what that is? That's a temptation. I love to say, we say this when, when something goes wacko or wacky or whatever the street term might be. Something goes nuts around the study. We will often hear somebody say, this is a test. And that is the coolest deal because... If this is a test, all I have to do is stand in the Lord and, and he will show me where the hole in the test is. He has faced them every one. I told you about that time that I was, I was studying, this is probably 40 years ago. I was studying uh, that text that he was tested in every way and and. One of the greatest tests I have personally had has been uh, the unbelief that is uh, manifested in guilt and, and the spiritual fears and so forth. And it's an awful sin because if you're walking around guilty, you are looking God in the face and you're not looking him in the face. You're going to look up. I remember. But what you're saying is, God doesn't, doesn't treat everyone the same. He will forgive some people, but he won't forgive me. Yes, you are saying that. Don't you say you're not saying that. Well, I just feel so bad. And when you feel badly, it just changes the Scripture. Just a great big eraser and just erases all of the Scripture. I'm, I'm looking for you. Have I found you yet? You see what we do? And when we get over that, I, I'm going through the Old Testament now is so much fun from a personal standpoint because, uh, for instance, not, not long ago I was in uh, Ezekiel. And uh, there's a passage in there that says, uh, talking about watchmen on the wall and that sort of thing, sounding the alarm if somebody is, falls into sin. They'll die for their sin, but I'll hold you accountable. And so all that, that's the passage. Okay, so then we get to this passage. It says, if a righteous man turns from his righteous ways and, and goes into sin, all the righteous stuff he ever did will be forgotten and he will be judged according to his sin. Same passage says, and if an unrighteous man turns from his unrighteousness and starts doing the right stuff, all of the unrighteousness that he did will be forgotten and he'll be judged according to his righteousness and rewarded according to his righteousness. Now, if you're suffering from guilt, neurotic, phobic guilt, which one of those are you going to reach down and just, just glue to yourself? Same passage, same principle, and I would go through there and say, oh, oh, everything good I've ever done is going to be lost. And I'm going to be judged for my unrighteousness. I could have been going saying, hallelujah, every unrighteous thing I've ever done is lost. And I'm going to be judged for the righteousness that comes through faith in you. I could have been doing that. It feels better. I've tried it since then. 
So I was doing this passage study, and I said, okay, Jesus was tempted in all points, except Jesus never sinned, so he does not know what it's like to feel guilty. Now, some of my guilt was neurotic, and some of it I richly deserved to feel guilty because I was guilty, okay? So you have a combination, and it's hard to cut a line between what's real and what's not real. And you get in that frame of mind. And so I said, okay, I don't understand this. And so I just, what you do when you find something you don't understand, just put it right over here on the shelf where you can get it and just see what God will say within the next few weeks or months. And so a few weeks later, I was doing a study of Jesus right before he was arrested. He is praying in the garden. And he is saying, if there's any way, let's don't do this cup thing. And what was in that cup was your sin and mine. He had never sinned. No sin. Not one. And he finally prayed himself through, prayed through into where he could take that cup and just guzzle it down. Not with any relish, but just because that was the will of God for one man. And it dawned on me from that time on, he was the most guilt-ridden all the way through his arrest, he healed the guy's ear that had just been <laughs> amputated. Um, right there in the garden as he was arrested, he, as they were leading him away to Caiaphas' house, Annas and then Caiaphas, and, and then the, the mock trials the next day, all the way on the cross, he was the most guilty guy that ever lived. Because he was. He was identified with our sins. Made to be sin who knew no sin. That we might be the righteousness of Christ. And if you're going to take him as the one who was made to be sin, who knew no sin, then take yourself as the one who is made the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what the baby is about. That's Jesus who. He is the one who bore it all. And if you need it present, he's the one who bears it all. Present progressive today, he bears it for you. There's an interesting fact in Scripture because we read about Jesus being glorified, Ephesians, the second chapter, and other places. <clears throat> we see him in the book of Revelation being glorified and so forth. Uh, he appears there in the first chapter, and, and John falls out like a dead man. Um, I have a mental picture of that. Is John has about the consistency of a wet dishcloth and it's just a little plink, little, little damp lump here and that's John who was incredibly filled with faith and had the the experience of of being the closest disciple to Jesus but he fell out when he saw the glorified Lord so we see Jesus like that but you know what the fact is Jesus is still in his humanity he still lives to pray. He today is saying, God, bless Pat, bless Elaine, bless Michael. Man, it's incredible. He gets down the road to you, and then, of course, he skips over. But other than that, I'm still looking for you. You're on my mind. You see, what God, 
This is unbelievable, isn't it? That this could really happen. You know how you are. How could God ever love you that much? You know how your heart is. You know how you, mad you get at your spouse or mad you get in traffic or at your parents or your kids or the teachers or your boss or your employees. And so just ignore all this stuff I've preached this morning. It doesn't count. You don't count. I mean, it couldn't be, could it? You see, we still are looking for personal worth. And if we'll just finally say, I don't have any. Now, you have, you have incredible worth to draw Jesus out of heaven. You talk about personal value. When I talk about having no worth, I'm talking about righteousness worth. You have no personal righteousness that would commend you anything but a divine kick in the head. That's what you deserve, and Jesus got it. If you think a divine kick in the head is not a big deal, again, just go see the show again. It's not quite as intense as the real thing was, but it'll get the message across. Now, what shall we do about that? We're going to accept it. We're going to say, I don't deserve it, the blessing of God, but I get it anyway. I don't deserve a light heart free from guilt, but there is therefore now no condemnation. You knew this was coming. What is it about no that you don't understand? No condemnation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That ought to, you know, we are, those of you who are new among us, thank you so much for being here. And you can see that we are people of incredible control because anybody that's normal would, would be jumping up and down and shouting at least as much as if the Chiefs got a, what do they get, home runs? It's been so long since they had one, I've forgotten what it is. I'm sorry. I am a Chiefs fan, just a frustrated Chiefs fan, okay? So we are people of control But you know what? The Lord is okay with your control. He, Jesus, was tempted in every way because he loves you. And he intends for you to be successful. He intends for you to be so full of his spirit, so full of his joy, that you're just a little bit weird because when everything goes south in your life, you're still saying, man, God is so good. And your friends are saying, are you okay? And you say, well, my finances are a mess, but I have never been better. In the first place, I'm closer to being home. If it's illness, you say, well, you know, the diagnosis was cancer. But man, if I can just die, I'll be in heaven. Kind of changes that physical stuff. Or, Or maybe... Maybe you dislike the present um, administrative branch of the U.S. government. Now, some of you dislike that bunch that just went out. Some of you dislike the bunch that just came in. We're hard to please. Have you ever noticed? Anyway, maybe you dislike the ones that are in, and you know what? You're closer to, to being with the Lord than you ever have been. And by the way, you owe According to the scripture, you owe prayer for the president and the whole bunch. You may say, I'm not going to pray for that dirty bunch. 
uh, you know what you are? If that's what you're saying in your heart, you're a blockheaded rebel. Yes, you are. And you will get over that if God loves you. If he leaves you in that, I question his love for you because that's sinful. You're saying, I can't do what the scripture says. I can't pray for the government. I disagree with them. So God's not bigger than the government, right? So I can't pray, right? I'm still looking for you. Is there anyone I've missed so far? I, I, I need to quit, but I'm not going to quit till I get you all. No, forgive, forgive, that's supposed to be humorous. Some of you chuckled, thank you. God loves you so much. It's just, it is to the natural person unbelievable because it does not make any sense. There is no free lunch. We know that. Except when you come to Jesus Christ, he just takes away all your past that will kill you. And brings in his life that will give you life and says, let's just hang together. I want to get to know you. I want you to get to know me. Stick with me. May we pray. Father, thank you for your life. Thank you for your spirit.